Announcement. The revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution Podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. Hear the secrets of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game. Now here's your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado on another Rock Your Socks episode of Hemp Revolution podcast, where we are sharing and telling the real story of the cannabis and hemp industry from the eyes of the and perspective of the entrepreneurs and change makers who are pushing this incredible space forward. If you're someone looking for products that you can trust to deliver the results you're looking for, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. And if you are a business owner or a new entrepreneur in this space and you need real solutions for your business like marketing, stable supply chain, compliance, or merchant processing, go ahead and check us out at theemeraldcircle.com. We are happy to help. Today's episode is probably going to be one of my favorites in a long time. Not only is it my resurrection episode because I have been on my deathbed one foot in the grave for the last three weeks, but we're actually going to be talking about one of my absolute favorite subjects, marketing and brand positioning. Alex Collins, who is our guest for the day, is the principal and partner of Sapling, a brand strategy and marketing consultancy, which is uniquely positioned in the cannabis and hemp industry. Since 2017, Sapling has been relentless and wildly obsessive in their pursuit of reducing the stigma surrounding cannabis use. They believe that the world deserves to have an open and unrestricted access to such an amazing plant, similar to our belief system, and their mission is to grow and scale cannabis companies around the world in one unifying mission. They focus their efforts on creating brands that win the hearts and minds of both cannabis users and skeptics. Alex has a background in marketing, luxury, consumer goods, retail operations, and has exited multiple successful ventures in the jewelry industry, balling. And the reason behind what he does is to change the stigma surrounding cannabis. Growing up around the plant has shaped his own view of the world, as well as so many others for the better. He believes that cannabis has the right properties to change the world that we're living in and bring hope for a better future for all of mankind. Super inspiring and really excited because he is a young buck entrepreneur. Help put your hands together and welcome my good friend, Alex Collins. What's going on, Alex? All right. Awesome. Thanks, Sonia, for having me. So happy to be here and, and talk with your audience. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on too. This is going to be a good combo. As you know, one of our, um, certainly one of our ninja tactics and, and uh, superpowers is compliant and effective marketing for cannabis and hemp. Not everybody has been able to pull this off. So I'm really excited to see how you have bridged the gap from what you were doing to what you are doing. For folks who do not know you, why don't you just take a second and introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are, um, what you were doing, and how you ended up in the can of boom. 
Yeah. So I would say my first exposure and interaction with cannabis started when I was really young. So I grew up um, in rural Arkansas uh, and my dad actually grew a lot of cannabis. Um, and really that kind of shaped just how I uh, saw the plant and how it kind of affected my life today. So um, over time, I mean, he was, he was growing and, and using and selling a lot of cannabis and, uh, got into some legal trouble also along the way. And, uh, so it was, it was kind of a rough, uh, a rough start to my childhood growing up, uh, just in that aspect. But, um, really now growing up and, and starting to use cannabis myself and really seeing the, uh, the reasoning behind what he did and, uh, now what I do has really just, uh, shaped what I, uh, what I do in business and, um, how I, how I help others. Very interesting. So pioneer, pioneer Papa. Um, so you had early exposure to the plant. Um, and I mean, you, I, I hope you don't take offense to this, but you look like you just graduated high school. How old are you? Uh, I'm 25. <laughs> okay. So you did almost just graduate high school. Um, and how old were you when all of this stuff was happening? Um, I mean, this was, this was probably uh, when I was around um, six or seven years old is when he started cultivating himself. Uh, he himself was a user uh, of cannabis just um, at, a, at an early age as well. So he started cultivating and growing cannabis kind of, uh, on a small scale, moving into a larger scale, um, growing up just throughout my young childhood. So, uh, when I was really young up until, uh, about 12, when my parents got divorced, that's when I, um, that's when I, uh, my exposure, I guess, kind of dropped off after that and then picked back up later on in my, my later teens. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's so interesting that now you're serving the cannabis industry. A lot of kids who would have had that type of experience, um, you know, I, I noticed that like the pioneers of the industry are like, yeah, I've been in this for a long time and they're, you know, just getting comfortable to voice their real experiences with this, where others are like, you know, sometimes the kids of the people and the pioneers of this industry, especially if they've suffered, suffered some sort of legal challenge that shifted the dynamic in their family, um, they're not always so receptive. They're, as a matter of fact, that's usually a contributor to the negative stigma. For you, what, what made you come into this industry and what keeps your mindset so positive around, canna, around the subject of cannabis? So, yeah, I agree with you on that, that the trauma surrounding that is a big, uh, big factor in the negative stigma. So, uh, for example, I mean, growing up, it kind of affected my siblings differently too. Um, whereas yeah. they viewed it as, and, and my mother, they kind of, they viewed it as, as a big negative thing. And it was something we didn't really ever talk about or when it was talked about was in a negative light. Yeah. Um, so, and really it was the same for me for a long right? time. Yeah. And it was the same for me for a long time, just, um, because it was like, okay, look, this is cannabis is gonna, is gonna hurt you because it's, uh, it's going to get you into all this kind of trouble. And, uh, yeah. and, and really it, it didn't start changing for me until I actually started using it myself just to kind of, uh, work through my own problems. Um, Really, it started as more of just a, a recreational thing, but slowly I, I kind of used it more as a medicinal healing plant just to help through my own depression and anxiety. Um, and I noticed just it, it helped me 
uh, start to be more extroverted, start to, uh, it started to help me kind of work through my own problems I was going through, uh, at the time. And, um, as I started to learn more about the plant, uh, itself and other people that were using it and connected more with just, uh, the cannabis community where I grew up with, that's when my view of everything started to change. So I didn't get into the cannabis business for a while. Uh, the last few years, uh, I kind of started to, to take a more open approach into seeing, okay, this can actually be a viable business model. Um, I see the, the stigma starting to change. Uh, it's starting to be legalized state by state. More and more people are, are starting to be open about using it. And then when the farm bill passed and the CBD explosion happened, that's um, really when I realized, okay, this the landscape of everything is starting to really change now. Uh, now it's it's time to really hit this head on. So that I mean that makes perfect sense. And as a young entrepreneur, good for you that you're recognizing a trend and then developing the specific skill sets necessary to capitalize on that. But I have to be honest with you, when I hear it and when I see it, and I see this a lot, a lot of folks making that jump from, you know, whatever they're doing in the traditional marketplace into the cannabis industry. And there's quite a few folks who claim to be able to do a ton, but aren't able to put their money where their mouth is. Now, when I was doing my research and getting to know you, I recognized that similar to some close friends of mine who are young bucks and they're badass online, I mean killing it with e-commerce, with marketing, with all different types of stuff. I'm, I'm, I recognize that you had made some successful exits and that you've done really well marketing luxury consumer brands. Talk to me a little bit about your previous work. What kinds of stuff were you marketing? What kinds of stuff were you selling? And then what was it? What was your real aha moment that moved you to you know, uh, sort of abandon that and come into the cannabis space? Yeah. So initially, um, how I got started just in marketing. Um, so I was kind of always just the entrepreneur type, I always had some kind of hustle going on. And, yeah. um, really my favorite part of, of all of the different business ventures I had throughout my teens and kind of growing up was, um, I just liked being able to get people to buy whatever it was that I was selling. <laughs> and, um, I ended up, I, I went to college for a little bit for marketing and, um, my family at the time, they had just, uh, uh, started a jewelry store and, uh, in Arkansas. And, and so I, uh, slowly kind of just started working for them a little bit, um, just doing sales and then eventually kind of took what I had, uh, learned throughout starting a few of my own ventures and experimenting with marketing and, kind of the foundations of what I learned and really put that into practice and applied those into uh, their retail store. And we eventually helped grow that from doing just a few hundred thousand a month into doing a few million per year and eventually expanding into a second store. And uh, they're on track now to doing a, a third store. So um, I kind of moved up progressively just from doing sales to them to pretty much taking over the the entire marketing aspect of their business. And uh, after that, um, I, I kind of built myself a community in the jewelry industry. And so I got to know a lot of other uh, small business owners in the industry and uh, took the principles and the practices that I learned with um, growing uh, my family's retail store into uh, helping other business owners kind of grow theirs uh, through digital marketing. And yeah. after that, it kind of just started just uh, from a freelance thing into starting up a, a small agency. 
And so we had helped uh, in 2016 and 2017 uh, around 150 to 200 stores total just uh, through consulting and through just um, running ads like running Facebook and Instagram ads and, and building social media accounts. Uh, eventually, I started a, a couple SaaS projects as well that um, we were able to grow and, and have a, a nice monthly uh, recurring revenue through that. Uh, eventually, exited that uh, that venture. And then in late 2017 is when uh, we kind of started to take the position that um, while the jewelry industry is great, uh, it wasn't really where I wanted to be uh, necessarily. Um, it's where I kind of got my background in and built the foundation, but my passion really has always, uh, for the last several years been in cannabis. So I thought, you know, why not kind of take the plunge and just start to see what we can do in cannabis? What principles can we take that we've done with jewelry and apply that towards cannabis? And so with the, uh, the legal market starting to, uh, expand and grow, um, I saw a big gap in the marketplace as well. Um, so a lot of brands were coming on and um, really creating products or trying to sell products and not necessarily knowing who to sell those products to. Yeah. So um, I've kind of figured out that we can take this approach of figuring out who needs what type of product and then creating uh, brands around that. So that's really the approach that, that I've been taking the last few years is, is, um, helping brands position themselves in the industry and creating products and, and strategies around that positioning. Very, very interesting. I, I know one of the, um, first of all, congratulations. That's badass. Nothing like trying your hand. And, uh, <laughs> and um, my, um, my mom was, um, my mom was running a business in, in uh, Southern California for a while. And so I think I cut my teeth. I cut my marketing teeth on mommy's business and I was nothing like unconditional love from your mom to as a, as a <laughs> practice ground for, you know, getting all your skill sets in order and then like really finding something that you love from there. Um, my mom has been my guinea pig a few different times and my family's been my guinea pigs a few different times. I was in the beauty industry. So everyone got bad haircuts for a couple of months. <laughs> You know, it's just like this cycle. And so that, I think that that's a really, really cool story and good for you that you have the support from them to to launch and, and how much you have accomplished just for being 25. Like that's major. One of the things I recognized about your business and your approach, and you were just talking about this, and this is such a huge thing that I think most businesses miss is, um, is you know, brand positioning and really getting that niche market um, being hyper focused on who you want to serve and how you create your brand, your brand story, um, and you know, really creating uh, that authentic connection with them through the image and story of the brand. I noticed that you guys build that into the philosophy of your company. And when I watch what you guys are doing, um, this is a huge part of your. Um, approach to success with your clients. Talk to me a little bit about why that's so important and what kind of experience you have. And, and like, what are some of the stories that stand out to you that can compare a successful company versus a not successful company where getting this brand to niche market, um, which is like step one is identifying your niche and then developing your brand. Show me a compare and contrast of a company that did that well and a company that did not do that so well. 
Yeah. So one example that I like to give uh, a lot is um, kind of a similar market with the alcohol market and uh, Tito's vodka. So essentially how Tito started was um, the market at the time, the vodka market was all just really cheap spirits. Um, wasn't really a market that was growing very well at all at the time. And, um, any, any liquor stores that had stock vodka, they couldn't, uh, move those products very well at all. So the founder of Tito's actually, um, he had started with just distilling his own spirits a few times, uh, and tried to put these brand, uh, put his own brand into, uh, liquor stores, but they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't take them just because they couldn't move their own products. So we think of it now, so it's such a huge brand that, you know, you think that it's always been that way, but it was a market that really didn't exist at the time. So what basically Tito's did is essentially create a craft vodka um, brand and focus it on uh, people that really wanted craft spirits or uh, kind of uh, the homemade feel of, of vodka, kind of taking uh, spirits back to its roots. So. That's essentially what they did to grow their brand is focus on uh, that aspect of, of kind of that niche consumerism that, that wants more of a, a handmade or, or homemade focus approach. And through that and building up a story around Tito's, they were able to expand it to now what's a, a multi-million dollar enterprise. And they have, you know, 10% of the, the market share on vodka as a whole. So um, that's one great example I... Uh, I like to have people look at um, probably a one company that that maybe hasn't done it so well. Um, I mean, we can look at the cannabis industry in general. Um, we can look at uh, MedMen as an example too, um, as a company that tried to market uh, cannabis towards everybody, and in doing so, they're really marketing towards nobody. And so when you try and, and become the loudest person in the room before even having your, your base set of fans or your, your tribe, uh, you could call it, um, by trying to be bigger than you are, you really, uh, aren't marketing towards anybody. Um, and the people that, uh, have consumed those products, uh, for a while or are starting to just come on and are new consumers, uh, start to see kind of through that, those tactics. And, um, essentially it's, it's kind of a recipe for disaster when you, when you try and be a little bigger than you are and don't really niche down, especially in the early stages of your business. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. Um, and, and I'll use, I'll use a, a little bit of a different analogy or an industry specific analogy. Um, you know, I think even the biggest brands right now are going, are, are having to reevaluate who they're serving because the ones who started three years ago didn't have to think about it. The ones who were in the market, you know, three, four years ago were just like, fucking slap a label on that bitch and sell her out. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was just yeah. like such a hot commodity. You could get, I mean, you could literally could charge whatever you wanted for it and people would buy it um, because it was such a, such like a disruptor. Now that the marketplace is maturing, it's quite a, the landscape is quite a bit different where you really have to consider the micro niche that you want to serve and how you're building and um, your whole brand to capture the attention of the market that you want to serve, connect with them authentically through storytelling, and then ultimately turning them into a customer through nurture. Um, And that comes with continuous 
value that you add beyond the product. People aren't buying products anymore. They're buying people. So they want to know who is behind the brand and product. So a really good example of of a company who's done it well, I think is Prime My Body or Hempworks. They they did the like the doTERRA sort of blitz and they put a specific business model in place, which I mean, eight out of 10 people will tell you network marketing or MLM is a bullshit business model. However, there's, I mean, countless companies who have become multi-billion dollar organizations using that business model. And when Prime My Body and Hempworks came out, it wasn't so much about the product. It wasn't so much about, um, you know, the store, the uh, story of people's lives being transformed. That was the benefits, the bonuses, but the real features of it was how you can build a life that will trans, you know, that will give you financial freedom, that will give you choice and give you opportunity like you've never had before. So they went after the niche market of the stay at home moms and the MLMers and did such an incredible job. I mean, they're literally... I mean, in my opinion, in my opinion, they're a subpar product with a fantastic community. And so they're the fastest growing companies mentioned on, you know, the pre and post uh, games for Super Bowl and all this huge, huge stuff. They have huge notoriety because they went after a specific marketplace and a specific niche market with the MLMers and the fanatics of network marketing. Companies that did not do it so well there's no exam. There's, there's, I mean, a thousand examples, but you have to look at the, like the, the, um, deceased list of companies, the ones that have gone out of business. Mm-hmm. You want to know the ones who are not doing well, 99% of the companies, because you don't hear about them anymore. You bought a product once and you can never find them again because they didn't do the right thing and they didn't market in the right way. So the ones, the companies that you don't hear about are the ones that failed. And there's more of those than there are as success stories. Um, so for me, that the number one thing is really understanding who you want to serve and why, and then building a brand story around that that continues to capture the attention of the consumer. How do you advise people um, in your business? Because I know that you're doing a lot of consulting. How do you advise people on um, getting started? Like walk me through the three steps to success when you're starting a brand from scratch. Yeah. So before even thinking about your brand or thinking about your products or um, you have to understand there's so much more behind a brand than just creating a logo and slapping it on, uh, slapping on a box and calling that a product and calling that a business. Uh, And I think that's, you know, when you talk about all the thousands of companies that are coming on and failing to, to excel in the marketplace doing that uh, it's because that they're pretty much essentially just taking the same model that everybody else is doing or that the winners in the marketplace have done and thinking that they can replicate that um, just through uh, through a product alone. And so essentially what we do in starting out uh, with a company is first deciding um, what uh, the brand is going to be and who the brand is going to be talking to. So you have to think of a brand as a person, essentially. And the person has its own personality. They have their own group of people that they hang out with and talk to. Um, they have their own style of doing things. And so your brand doesn't have to necessarily reflect who you are, but it has to be um, somebody that you can also maybe relate to so that you can um, more identify with your own customer base. And so kind of what I mean by that is 
uh, Charlotte's web actually did a, a very good job of doing this. And they were one of the first in the CBD space, um, to quickly grow and capture a lot of market share. And so they tell a story of just how CBD essentially, um, healed a girl named Charlotte who was having seizures and how they created a, uh, a strain specific to treating epilepsy. And they really took that story and ran with it and created products specifically around a uh, medicinal side of, of cannabis and really started to change the overall stigma of cannabis through this, showing that it's not just a product that can be used to get high, it's a product that can be used to heal. And so that's kind of the same approach that we take when starting new brands. It's um, deciding who your target audience is going to be. Are you targeting maybe athletes who want uh, an edge in their competition or an edge in um, recovering from workouts? Are you targeting veterans who need um, therapy for PTSD? Are you targeting um, more uh, seniors or people that have ailments um, like arthritis or things like that? that maybe a salve can help. Um, so once you figure out who the type of person that you're going to target is, um, then we can kind of come up with the products that can then be pushed to that demographic. Um, and then you can build the brand around that. So figuring out what type of content you can deliver to these people, what mediums they are, where these people are, uh, where they, uh, where they hang out, where are they actually going to see these products. So, um, typically, you know, e-commerce might be a good model. It's, it's, sometime might be a cheaper model than just opening up a retail store. But if your customers don't do a lot of shopping online, then it's not going to make sense to, uh, to create an e-commerce store, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's also just where you need to push those products as well, whether it be, you know, just putting them into retail stores or being more of a boutique company. Um, so that's really what we do just starting out. Um, and then we do more strategies. So how, um, how are you going to, um, position your brand and, um, what type of content, like I said, that you're going to create, uh, whether that's, um, podcast, video, blog posts, uh, et cetera. When you're working with a brand and they're asking you like, you know, what if you're working with a brand who maybe isn't like, there's a couple of different kinds of there's for me, there's a handful of different types of business owners. There's the ones who are like me who love to create content and can talk their face off and will talk your face off and, you know, have no problem doing videos and podcasts and all of this stuff. And then there's the type like my husband, who's pretty introverted. He's like, he'll type out this long post, but you're not really going to see the guy get on video much. You're not, he's, he's much more introverted and quiet. He's more systems based. Um, there's folks who are super creative. So they're always starting, but never finishing anything. Um, and it's tough to sort of figure out it's, uh, how to stick a, a square peg in a round hole, right? So if you're talking to an introverted systems based entrepreneur, how do you get them to create content because we both know as marketers to market in the cannabis and hemp niche, you have to be creating a massive amount of content and then distributing distributing it across multiple channels to become relevant and recognized and respected and trusted so that people will start to buy your stuff. But what if people just want to, you know, throw $10,000 or $5,000 at an ad campaign and don't want to create content? 
how do you deal with those types of customers and how do you overcome the hurdle of people being shy or not wanting to create content? Yeah. So I think that that's uh, another big problem um, just of people coming into the industry as well. And so it's not so much that you have to completely change your personality uh, to create this content or to build your brand. Um, so I'm kind of an introverted person myself, but I still create a lot of content. My, my uh, medium of choice to push content is through blogs and written content. And I generate a lot of traffic and hype doing that. So I don't do a lot of video content, um, but my written content does pretty well. And so I think what business owners have to do is recognize what they're good at and what they aren't good at. So maybe they are good at... Um, creating video content. Maybe they are a really good writer. Maybe they are a really good graphic designer, or maybe they're not good at any of those. Maybe they're just more of the, um, they don't want to be the face of anything. They just want to create the systems, the SOPs and really just sit back. Um, so I think it's essential that, uh, if they aren't willing to do those to find the people that are, and to bring on a, uh, a team that is, uh, cohesive, and is great at working together to build this brand up uh, in lieu of the the brand owner. So um, for, for brand owners that don't want to create this content themselves or that just want to throw money at an ad campaign, you know, maybe that's not the best course of action to take. And that's part of, of my job and, and sapling is to um, advise them on what a good and bad strategy is. So just spending $10,000 on an ad campaign may not be the best uh, course of action. So it's better to start small and build up a community um, that can advocate for your product rather than just, like I said earlier, um, trying to be bigger than you actually are and pushing it out to the masses before you actually have your own, um, your own set of brand advocates. Um, and so if, if they aren't willing to be the face of, of that brand product, like I said, it's essential for them to uh, maybe bring somebody on who is because that's really what, at the end of the day, people want to do business. Like you said, with other people, they don't want to be sold a product or be pushed a product. They want to um, actually interact with a the person. They want to believe in a story and believe in a vision. And uh, that's what it comes down to is um, the brand owner can realize that vision, but if they aren't equipped to execute on it, it's essential that they, uh, they build the team that, that is able to. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm going to get into the segment of words and wisdom here um, because I, I think that it's really important for us to be able to share through our own experience, you know, um, how to avoid some of the inevitable pitfalls that are just fucking waiting for us around every corner in this industry. Um, but first I'd love to hear from you two things. Number one, what are some of the major challenges that you've been up against as a, as a, um, marketing agency serving clients in this industry? What are some of the like big roadblocks and challenges that you've come across? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I have people from all different walks of life who, you know, want to leverage their current skill sets and apply it to this new industry, whether it's marketing, legal, accounting, you know, plumbing, it doesn't matter what it is. 
they're always asking, you know, how to make that transition. And not everybody understands that no matter what your skill sets are, you're still going to come up against roadblocks and challenges here. So for you, I'd love to hear since you started a successful marketing agency, what has been some of the really big roadblocks or challenges that you guys are having to overcome as a company? Oh man, (laughs) every step of the way has been a challenge. Honestly, everything that we've done has, we've had pushback um, and everything that has been successful in the jewelry industry and the same tactics, uh, you know, haven't essentially worked just transitioning into cannabis. So we've almost just had to relearn everything from the ground up and kind of change the way we're doing things. So, um, for example, I mean, we built a business around running Facebook and Instagram ads, and that's proven to be a huge challenge just in posting cannabis or hemp related content on Facebook. I mean, even to, to run ads, it's a huge hurdle and, um, and just, uh, a, a big, a big hurdle that you just have to jump over and, and big restrictions and challenges that are in place. So, uh, and that's what a lot of people have to recognize is that federally and, and, you know, for most of the U S and really most of the world, cannabis is still legal and it's the stigma is still there with so many people and so many older generations that, um, and, and so many, uh, so many larger corporations and companies that don't even want to put their face, um, on anything that has to do with cannabis. So, um, you know, most social media sites don't want anything to do, uh, with cannabis. They don't want that content on their websites. Um, and we've had that, uh, our, we've had several accounts be shut down just, just from posting that type of content. So it's, it's been constantly just having to restart and figure out, uh, what can we do? What can't we do? And so I think that coming into the business, you have to realize that there are going to be restrictions and we're all, everybody in the industry, nobody has it figured out. You know, we might find uh, tweaks that work here and there, um, but it's imperative that we kind of share those uh, with everybody else along the way so that we can uh, really build this industry together. Um, But yeah, there are a lot of people that come in from different industries or, or trades that can enter the cannabis industry with their own skill sets. Um, another big problem is, is with, with, um, banking and processing that so many people, um, entering an industry. I think that's the first roadblock that people hit is they don't know how to actually collect the money from people, uh, or where to put that money. And so really it comes down to, it's a political thing. And so, uh, as the political landscape changes, then we'll start to see more shifts in the industry uh, into more of a positive note and with less restrictions. But until that happens, it's just uh, really bearing through the challenges and, uh, I mean, realizing that it's not always going to be this way if we really just stick together as an industry and and every one of us become advocates for, for something bigger than we can really move through these roadblocks. But, um, that's just what, what business owners have to understand is that, uh, not everybody's going to have all the answers, but some of us might have, uh, an answer to, uh, to something else. So it's, it's finding those people that have experiences, experience those, uh, those own hurdles and figuring out how they've overcome them and, and taking that and scaling it in the, in the industry as a whole. 
Um, what is one thing, and then we're going to get into words of wisdom. What is one, uh, one thing that you're most proud of? Like, uh, um, something that sticks out with you with a particular client that you were able to get great results with, or, um, maybe something personal that you've accomplished. What is one thing, um, that you're super, super proud of that perhaps you haven't bragged about? This is your opportunity to sort of be like, man, I fucking killed it with this thing. And I know I did. Um, I mean, honestly, coming in, um, I, I wasn't sure, you know, that this was going to work out just starting a business in the, in the cannabis industry. Um, and really over the last few years, just, just seeing it play out. I mean, it's, I can look back, you know, and it seems like we have so, uh, such a, a huge distance left to cover. And, um, I mean, there are more, there are other businesses more successful and less successful than us, but really at the end of the day, I can look back and see where we first started with this and, uh, look and see, okay, now we've worked with, uh, two dozen clients and, and help them maybe overcome some of their, their own hurdles and their own, uh, their own small challenges. So, um, for me, I guess my, my proudest accomplishment is just is, is really in just the little wins and, um, and helping people figure out how to move past those, that one challenge they might be facing, uh, whether it's through maybe, um, maybe developing a content strategy or, uh, maybe making a piece of content that really, uh, really wins over a lot of, a lot of their clients. So, um, one of my, or one of our biggest wins recently was, uh, a uh, new grower that had come on, um, come onto the market in Oklahoma. So that's a booming market right now is the, uh, the Oklahoma medical market. And they're doing, they're doing so many great things. And, um, you know, I'm looking at Arkansas and, and where I'm at in Utah right now. And Arkansas has had, uh, had a medical program for, uh, almost four years now, we voted it in in uh, late 2016, I believe, or 2017. And just now, a few months ago, uh, the first dispensaries were able to open. So it was just such a long, uh, a long stride just to get to that point. And Oklahoma is doing great things. But we started working with a new grower in Oklahoma, and they were having trouble just figuring out how to uh, really push their their products into the market. And because it was kind of becoming saturated with so many growers starting to to um, have so much uh, so much product initially, and they were kind of late into the game. They didn't start um, start until probably six or seven months later when everybody else had started. You know, how already have their first or second harvest into dispensaries. So uh, wasn't there was a lack of product, but. Um, we, uh, helped create a lot of content for them. We did a lot of product pictures and it was through that just, um, showing everybody that, okay, maybe, um, and let me go back a little bit. And it's uh, most of the, most of the growers, uh, in Oklahoma aren't doing a, a big content strategy. And, um, so, and their quality is kind of subpar and, um, so the pictures maybe on their social media aren't really that great either. So they might be taking pictures just with their iPhone in a poorly lit room. And, you know, that doesn't really sell, uh, sell weed all that great. That doesn't you're, sell you're the high grade. <laughs> um, so we were able to take some really banger pictures for them and, and do some videos and really kind of help establish their story and, and what got them started. And they all came from, 
uh, you know, a lot of them were growing illegally for a few years before that and just had sort of small scale operations. So we were able to help them develop some content, some video. And through that, we were able to help them get their product in the marketplace. They were able to totally sell out before they even finished harvesting. And Uh through that, they were able to move into a bigger facility. Um, through through selling off their their first harvest and um, through these last few months they've been able to grow tremendously and just build a lot of hype on their products and now um, now they're sold out before they even they even harvest so that's um, great yeah so uh, we still keep in contact with them all the time and and go and see their facility all the time and it's um it's awesome so it's just creating friends in the industry has really been. Uh, been my my biggest achievement just building my own community in the in the industry so sweet love that um okay in our final segment here we are going to talk about some words of wisdom and knowing what we have come through um you know and where we are going and more importantly knowing what we know about the industry knowing what we know now had we if we were able to reverse the clock and go back then or knowing that there's entrepreneurs out there and even established businesses who are struggling with this exact thing what would be two pieces of advice that you could offer um a budding entrepreneur that would have helped to help them sort of make that quantum leap from where they are to where they want to be and, um, help grow, start, grow or scale a business. So I think it's, um, to really get started into, and to build a business and a successful business in this industry. Um, like I said earlier, don't, it's, it starts small and, and start to build your own community. Um, and figure out, you know, where you want to build that community at, whether it's a local community or whether it's an online community, um, figure out where those people are and where your biggest supporters are going to be and really allow them to uplift you and become, uh, become your own advocates. Um, also make connections with as many people in the industry as possible. Cause that's, what's, what's really key is the relationships that you build. Um, you're not going to make any friends or, or have a successful business by alienating people or, uh, just being a total dick to everybody. So it's, um, that's, that's really, uh, quintessential in, in building successful business and, um, find people that know more than you, because I feel like a lot of people coming into the industry from outside industries feel like they have it all figured out. Um, when they've never sold cannabis before, never, uh, never been involved in the industry in any way. So it's, um, figure out, uh, who those people are and just learn from them as you can, but also give back as much as possible because, there have been so many people that have given everything they have to this industry and have been left with nothing. People that have been incarcerated for giving everything they have to this industry. So it's essential that we give back and understand that there have been so many other people before us um, that have allowed it to, to get to this point. And so uh, whether it's through finding a nonprofit organization dedicated to uh, to helping these people. Uh, the last prisoner project is a great one that I highly recommend, um, that advocates for, uh, prisoners that have been incarcerated for cannabis related charges. Um, or whether it's, you know, maybe having your own flamp through where you, um, help those that have been affected by this as well. Um, those would be my, my biggest takeaways from, from being successful in this industry. And really it's, finding your own story uh, and creating your own story 
um, because that's what builds successful brands. And that we're all in this for the long run at the end of the day. And it's, it's a community and an industry that's only going to grow when we all work together. So, um, it's just finding those people that, uh, will help you advance your own mission and, and that you can help advance theirs as well. Love it. Love it. I'm going to piggyback off of what you said, because I thought you gave some really solid advice and, you know, the social economic uh, contribution that people are making in their communities is so super uh, important and one of the key differentiators and how you can use that to position your story um, to set you apart. One of the things that we had talked about a little bit is, you know, how do you play to your strengths as an entrepreneur so you don't get into the overwhelm of trying to be everything to everyone and do everything for everyone? And so I have to always bring it back to building your team, the right team. And and some of you might say, well, Sonia, I don't have the money to build a team. Well, Sonia, I don't have, you know, how do I even build the team? And here's here's a couple of the key things that you guys have to know. Number one, In the current landscape of this industry, knowing where we are on our way to, being as deeply connected as I am to this space, I can tell you that if you are not well capitalized, don't even bother. There's ways for you to apply your skill sets to an existing brand to have, you know, a solid paycheck and to be a part of building an incredible legacy. It doesn't necessarily have to be ego driven and yours all yours. If your position in somebody else's brand is just as valuable as you starting a brand yourself. So if you're not well capitalized, if you don't have a minimum of $100,000 to put into this industry right now, don't even fucking bother. Spare yourself the embarrassment of failure and don't do it. Get involved with somebody else's business and play your big game there because there's plenty of room for you to bring your inevitable value. Secondarily to that, If you are a well-capitalized organization, you can build and should build a team. Find out what your direct strengths are. There's a a book called The Millionaire Master Plan by Roger James Hamilton and and something called Wealth Dynamics, which will teach you, which will show you exactly what kind of entrepreneur you are and what kind of tasks you should be doing every single day that leverages your natural talents to build at the most amount of value with your community with the most amount of leverage. So for instance, Warren Buffett is somebody who watches timing and he makes all of his decisions based off of the right timing. Whereas somebody like um, Richard Branson is a creative. He's always thinking about the next biggest, best thing, but has an incredible team around him to help bring those things to fruition. There's folks like my husband who have built system-based businesses. Those are the, those are the Jeff Bezos of the industry who can see like, okay, great. If I can make this system work, then I can scale it to be global. Um, and then there's folks like Oprah or Beyonce or myself who are who have built their entire business off of creating connection and leveraging their star power to have that unique positioning in the marketplace. So I recommend that you check out Wealth Dynamics. I recommend that you check out the Millionaire Master Plan and Richard and Roger James Hamilton, who's been 
incredible resource to help you really identify your natural strengths and talents and how you can use them inside of a team and build the strength of your team around your talents. There's two different types of leaders. There's a leading learner and a teaching teacher. The leading learner is always looking for the information that they can consume so that they can share it with the world. These are the ones who are going out and trying to find that information that up levels their game so that they can up level the game that they're trying to play with their team. And then the teaching teacher is the one who's always preaching and teaching, telling you what they know and how and how to do this and how to do that, but are generally not the ones investing a ton of time or energy into developing themselves as a person or as an entrepreneur. So I always say lean for the leading learners. Those are mentors. Those are um, you know people that you can trust to give you that advice and direction when you don't know which way to turn. Be that leading learner and invest in yourself so that your company is a reflection of the investment that you are making in your own body, your mind, your body, your spirit. If those things are strong, it'll reflect in your business. And then finally is outsource. Um, I think it was one of the sharks, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but he said, hire your weaknesses um, and do that first. It's not about being able to duplicate yourself, but you want to be able to get compliments to the things that you're not good at. So if you don't want to talk, if you don't want to create content, guess what? It'll cost you 600 bucks a month to have a full-time writer who's doing it for you. If you, you can hire somebody for three grand a month to make daily videos for you. You can hire a marketing agency like Alex's to, um, you know, bring in influencers who will talk about your brand all day long. You just, you, you cannot limit yourself by what you don't have. You have to push yourself to get the things that you want. Don't, pity part of yourselves on what you don't have, but always strive for the things that you want and they will happen. Those are the things that I um, have to contribute to my words of wisdom. Alex, where can folks find you if they're interested in finding out more about working with you? Yeah. So they can visit our website at sapling.cc. We also have a Facebook group called Empire Builders uh, and have a good community of of budding uh, hemp and cannabis entrepreneurs there as well. Amazing. Well, I'm definitely going to continue to follow you and the work that you're doing. I thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Can't wait to continue to follow your success. And by the way, if you have folks who are looking for merchant processing or um, anything like that, I have very, very close friends who literally own the financial solutions, uh, like they own the banks. So if you need help with any of that stuff, let me know. And I'm happy to be an ace in your pocket um, to help solve some of those bigger problems. All right, my dear friend, that concludes our interview for today. For those of you guys who are tuning in, thank you so much for being a part of this incredible community. Um, I am so proud and so honored to serve you every day with the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make educated, empowered decisions about how you want to care for yourself and the people that you love, but also how you want to participate in the fastest growing, most exciting and challenging industry in the world right now. So if you're a person looking for products, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. And if you're someone looking for real solutions that you can trust um, when it comes to building, growing, scaling your business or breaking through the glass ceilings and brick walls, check us out at theemeraldcircle.com. We are happy to help. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show, guys.
Thanks for listening to this episode. We took notes on this episode for you, along with all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Get them free on the show notes page here at www.medicalsecrets.com. If you love this show and our content, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to help us get the message out there, please rate, review, and tell all your friends. With your help, we can continue to reach the world with our message. And until next time, we hope you join the hemp revolution, and we challenge you to dream big and love the life you live.